As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, the series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Davide Soliani, current creative director at Ubisoft Milan. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Davide. How are you? Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I'm fine, and you? Um, I'm great. It's This conversation's been a long time coming. We've been discussing it back and forth for quite a while. Obviously, we struck the conversation up a little bit before E3, which makes things a little tricky. But we finally made it happen, so thank you very much for coming aboard. I know there's a few listeners who've been requesting you, and I'm sure we'll be quite excited to hear this episode. So thank you again. Thanks to you for the opportunity, Paul. So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from all around the industry and they share their stories about how they've come to be where they are in the industry so far. And let's rewind to the very beginning. Davide, what was your first gaming experience? What were the, the games that kind of underpinned your childhood, I guess, or early uh, years in gaming? The very first one was uh, a coin-op experience. It was uh, Space yep. Invaders. So that oh, yeah. was the Good very choice. first time I got exposed to a video game. And even if uh, today we'll uh, probably feel uh, simple and trivial to many people that are born uh, in the in the in the 20s like uh, for me it was like a, a game changer yeah of course uh, and what other sort of games did you play through those early years that kind of really took your fancy were there any in particular uh, well a lot because the, the first let's say it depends if you define a a sort of PC or a console, the Commodore 64 or the... Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. So that was when I really started to imagine myself as, oh, my God, one day I would like to to, to create video games. Oh, yeah, so, great. Yes. And I was in, uh, in love with the... Uh, the first game I loved, in fact, it was... Uh, um, apart from the coin-op, so apart from uh, Jumpman, yeah. apart from uh, um, Mario games, uh, uh, even just to uh, spread a little bit my experience, I would say Pit Stop, if you remember. It yeah. was a F1 yeah, it. kind of game, and you were driving this uh, F1 uh, car. And uh, in my head, I'm sure that if I look at the game now, it's completely different, but in my head, I see those tires being consumed at every turn <laughs> of the track uh, and I remember that they were changing colors so they were telling you okay you have to uh, it was a, a, a racing game but it was also a management kind of game because you had to yep. take care of uh, to not not consuming the the tires too much before uh, the next track so and uh, well you were supposed to go to the pit stop so uh, that game was uh, clearly um, hooking in my head then I loved uh, I'm going to say titles that no one believes that uh, I loved but uh, Defender of the Crown on Amiga it was okay. crazy yes basically you had to conquer part of England if I don't remember yes so and uh, basically it was only like a point and click on one of the yeah. uh, different sections inside England and then you had to uh, do an assault on the castle uh, 
and then doing a sort of sword fight and then you were conquering area after area i love that game um so the very early one well, and then uh well you know the in, in the commodore 64 era there was uh, yep. the official games and then tons of games that were recorded on uh, on the cassette that were like, yes uh, yeah uh, some bootleg style games yes and uh, yeah. many of them were just uh uh, um, reproposing the same game with different titles, uh, some uh, so it was a it was an, a gold era, like uh, tons of creativity, tons of uh, new stuff. Uh, uh, it was very niche; only few people uh, were exposed to video games compared to today, which is a huge, very very mass. different. Yes, completely yeah. different. So, and uh, for someone like me that. Uh, uh, spent all his life uh, so socializing with other people especially uh, inventing situation role plays because I'm a big uh, yep. pen and paper um, gamer yep and, and with the stranger things now people know <laughs> what are those yeah, uh, kind of games <laughs> pe yeah people kind of connect those things more than maybe what they did before yes yes like uh, only two years ago pen and paper what do you mean but you have to invent and you have to play all. Are you crazy? No, no, I'm not crazy. Actually, <laughs> uh, doing this kind of game uh, helped me a lot in my career as a creative director. Yeah. But being exposed to video game was uh, uh, was something something else, something completely new. Uh, I love books. They can kind of um, hook me in different dimension. Uh, role plays were, were doing this the same and video games did it again so it's easy to escape from the world if you want to uh, but it's also good to escape to this world to bring something in the real one that you learn from uh, those uh, those other dimensions so let's say that it was a, a great helper for uh, my job as well yeah, great. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, thanks for sharing that. So, in terms of the journey into the games industry, where did everything begin for you personally? In the video game industry, you mean? Yes, as you started to make your way in, yeah. Where did, where did that first begin? Obviously, there's plenty of credits there, including Rayman and uh, Jungle Book and The Mummy and Rainbow Six. Uh, three. Yes. There's several There's several games you've kind of dabbled in in the earliest years of your development career, but where did it actually first begin? It started with uh, Rayman. It was my first uh, title on Game Boy, and um, <laughs> and it was crazy because the the first interview I did for uh, Ubisoft, uh, I brought a, a PowerPoint with me, which was a study about uh, the musical rhythm uh, versus the tactical rhythm yep. uh, in uh, Zelda: Ocarina of Time. So I was okay. kind of studying how uh, the density of activity and uh, the pressure of the buttons and also yeah, which understood. buttons was creating a sort of rhythm uh, in the game uh, throughout tactile uh, feeling. Uh, I've been hired and then I started to uh, work on Rayman and uh, out of the blue I was taking care of uh, the, the control system and the character. So it was a very 
very demanding ta task. I was kind of scared because it was the first time I had to try to reproduce uh, in a game. There's a lot of pressure. I felt it was a, uh, a joy for me just by playing other games. Um, and because uh, I, I grew up with the Nintendo titles, uh, I was very, very picky in terms of uh, Carter's control and feeling. So yeah. I remember that when I went to my second game, IGN, which was a, a Mowgli, a Jungle Book's Mowgli adventure, IGN yeah. said, uh, uh, he did a review, they did a review like a 99.0, I don't remember, or 90%. Uh, and they said, uh, this game has all, uh, nin almost Nintendo perfect uh, uh, controls. Uh, I was like super happy because they were yeah. kind of uh, doing a comparison between uh, the perfection of the contours on Nintendo games and what I was trying to do with the Mowgli. So I was like, yeah. And, yeah, um, very proud moment, I'm sure. And uh, it, it was crazy for me because uh, I mean, starting in the video game industry today, uh, it's completely different than starting like 20 years ago, which is uh, yeah. when I started. Uh, I remember learning how to do levels in inside uh, uh, our uh, engine and, uh, and editor and you know levels for a game Game Boy Color or a Game Boy were completely different than today where you have the Switch, Nintendo Switch, uh, PlayStation uh, 4 or Xbox One uh, you know it's a completely different kind of uh, mindset and limits that you, uh, you have to work for and uh, the way my lead uh, wanted to teach me stuff was like that, like uh, create your levels and we will see each other in one month and I will play all the levels that you created and I will uh, judge them. So I spent like one month creating levels, uh, putting them on the database, which was at that time the WSS. Um, and then he said, okay, after a month, are those all your level? And I said, yes. He selected all of them, shift can't destroy perma permanently. Oh. Oh, and he told me, start again. <laughs> we will see in two months, in, in another month. I said, okay. <laughs> and, and then I worked for another month creating level. And he said, are those your levels? Yes. And he destroy all of them without checking just one of them. And I said, okay. And he said again, <laughs> okay, now do them for real. So the third time, finally, he started to see my level and, and started to discuss with me. But it was like really learning. If, if you have to teach someone to, to swim, for me, it was like he, he brought me and threw me in the water and say, swim. <laughs> so I was uh, learning the hard way, but it was very, very interesting. And today, that's not a kind of behavior that you can have anymore. People need to be already arriving in the video game industry prepared because there are schools and um, most of the time uh, they arrive with tons of uh, frontal lesson already done on their side. Uh, but 20 years ago it was uh, you learn on the battlefield most of the time. You know? It's definitely an interesting approach. Uh, as a teacher personally, my, my professional career, um, it's a really that's a really interesting way to kind of introduce someone to 
in your in that particular case, game development, which is just yeah, screw it up, throw it in the bin, screw it up, throw it in the bin. Okay, like, yeah, really tough love. So, how did things kind of develop from there? Where, well, what were the next steps? Were you, did you have particular ambitions at that particular time as to what you were looking to do, what you wanted to develop, what you wanted to achieve? Obviously, that we spoke about, you know, Rainbow Six Threes in there. Beyond Good and Evil is something you're credited for as well. And then, you know, we obviously continue to move towards the, uh, the modern day. But were there any particular ambitions or things that you wanted to do or dreams you were chasing as things continue to develop? Um, not initially. Initially, I was like a sponge. Uh, trying to learn uh, as much as possible from uh, everyone and everything around me. That's why at some point I decided to leave uh, uh, the development in Ubisoft uh, Milan and to go and to venture on uh, some other adventure, uh, starting with uh, Kuju in London, that at that time was uh, creating um, Battalions Wars uh, for uh, Nintendo. Uh, which was a spin-off uh, for Advance Wars, yep. but totally in 3D. And then after Kuju, I, I went to Ubisoft Canada and Montreal. Um, I really wanted to learn as much as possible, and my main focus was mostly on uh, main characters uh, and trying to reproduce as much as possible what I felt it, uh, it was for me, uh, things that... Uh, made me fell in love with, with video games. So the character's controls, the character traces, yeah. uh, the feel that uh, Nintendo games were able to give me, and uh, rarely other games from other companies were uh, able to, especially uh, 20 or 15 uh, years ago. Today you have w- way more um, software house that are able to do uh, good stuff. But like 20 yeah, years ago, yeah, of for me, it was, uh, okay, there is Nintendo, there are uh, other companies, but uh, uh, the only one in the Olympo is uh, Nintendo, and still is for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sorry, N- Nintendo's <laughs> Nintendo's a benchmark for a lot of people, and it's I don't think anyone would really object too much if you're shooting for the standard they set. I mean, um, you only have to look at some of the games they've released, even in recent years. Um to understand that they just continue to deliver exceptional work. Um, and obviously, yeah, Nintendo, we've spoken about them a few times. Nintendo titles have been a big influence along the way. And I guess one of the games you've been most recently credited for was uh, Mario Plus Rabbids. How was that like um, to... And I'm really keen to dive into this into this particular topic. How, what was that like to um, strike up the conversation with Nintendo? How did that idea originate? Um, how did then that get pitched to Nintendo? What, what did that whole process look like? Uh, it was crazy, it was not unexpected, and I couldn't believe it till uh, it was uh, really happening. But uh, honestly, uh, Ubisoft always had this intention to uh, work along with Nintendo because we yeah. had the rabbits. Uh, and the rabbits were, in a way, cartoonish enough to, yes. to marry, maybe, with the, the Mario universe. Um, but no one uh, was able to concretize uh, uh, this intention in an actual uh, idea concept that we could have used uh, to present it to Nintendo. Till one day we decided to to try, and uh, and the idea was really to. I remember that we uh, we started to 
to to work on a on a, des a design room that it was very small. It was like a, a 15 square meters. Five uh, game designer uh, working uh, basically 10 or 12 hours per day, brainstorming about which kind of game could possibly interest Nintendo and us. Which kind of game could possibly marry rabbits and uh, Mario? Because it was a uh, kind of strange. And uh, I remember thinking. There is a lot of contrast, even if they looks uh, maybe similar. There is a lot of contrast and differences between uh, rabbits and uh, Mario Kartas. So, yeah, um, I've, I've instead of being uh, um, uh, limited by this contrast, at some point I said, okay, I need to use this uh, contrast to leverage something to bring. Uh, something out of it humor gameplay mechanics uh, uh, different situation we need to find a game that uh, uh, makes both uh, rabbits and uh, mario carters pop up so we basically brainstormed 13 different ideas uh, on a board and uh, at some point we started to scratch off uh, idea after idea and uh, to really see which was the most dearest and the most close to to us that the, the one that we wanted to protect yep. at all cost and uh, uh mario plus rabbits was uh the one that uh, really uh, let's say uh was uh, crazy enough uh, to be presented to nintendo crazy enough to represent <laughs> uh, the rabbits uh, and uh and we went for it so it was a uh, of course, the, the game evolved uh, after the first initial uh, concept uh, but, uh, and matured. But uh, uh, the initial idea was, uh, okay, let's create a game in which rabbits and Mario could uh, venture in an adventure, let's say, explore the worlds, get lost yep. in it, uh, and then uh, fight. Because we were like uh, tactical uh, lovers, so we say, why not? combat and an exploration at the same time and our inspirational game were uh, mario kart because of the bonus uh, yes. exchange and that's why you you have this fight with the super effect uh, the burn effect uh, the only effect uh, that's why you have this layer of unpredictability inside uh, the fight uh, and worms if you remember worms 2d yes 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 like yes a, a crazy game very good so kudos to Team 17 for that. Uh, that was really giving this joy of fighting each other and, uh, in, a, in a good mood. And then uh, we, at some point we were happy with that and uh, Ubisoft get to get in contact with Nintendo and Nintendo gave a slot for us to present the game and in three weeks, but we were not ready. So we worked <laughs> like crazy for three weeks and a half, really night and day, to present a pitch to Miyamoto. But uh, for me, it was important to go there with, with a demo, with uh, with a playable demo, not just a pitch, because uh, I mean, uh, PowerPoint is uh, boring. Uh, a demo. Oh, I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. A demo speaks about uh, your passion, about your heart. So we went there with the demo. I think that Miyamoto was not expecting to see a playable demo 
I think he was expecting something more formal and boring, so he was surprised by that. And uh, the d in the demo, we were using Mario and um, Luigi as characters as well, along with others. So Rabbit Mario and yep. uh, Rabbit Luigi. And basically, ah, and also Yoshi and Rabbit Yoshi, yes. And uh, basically, we had to create them from scratch, like the models, the rig, uh, the animation. And we did all of that along with the mechanics, the structure, the gameplay loop in three weeks and a half. Uh, we almost died <laughs> to develop that uh, <laughs> demo. Uh, but it worked because he said, I'm impressed. Uh, he asked me, where did you get uh, Mario and Luigi? Because they were looking like the official one. And we said, no, yes, okay. uh, we, we, we did them from scratch. So I do believe that it was in that moment where Miyamoto understood that uh, the, the team was really passionate about doing something with the rabbits and Mario. And it was not, uh, uh, let's say, a kind of uh, time to market uh, video game intention. Uh, it was really uh, a team with a vision, with a heart behind the game that wanted to, to go and ask for the permission to use uh, the Nintendo characters. And uh, he never said yes, he said, interesting. So after three months, we went in, in, uh, in uh, Kyoto to meet them again, this time with a full-fledged demo of one level that was called Luigi Rescue, in which Luigi was kidnapped and you had to go and do a little bit of a adventure mode and combat yep. with the final boss and, and everything and a final hook and uh, he loved that he told us that uh, it was uh, like Captain Todd but more uh, wild plus okay. other feedback and, uh, and he said it's interesting let's uh, let's continue the collaboration together and and so and so every it six became what uh, we now know. months we went there and uh, exchange uh, where we were uh, um, the demo the the build of the game uh, what we wanted to do we established a connection uh, with them uh, uh, with a, a couple of guys that uh, was following our project uh, so we exchanged mail uh, conf call uh. it was pretty dense and pretty interesting it was uh, uh, nintendo knows how to be tough but they were always uh, fair, very picky, but fair, especially on the Nintendo Good. characters animation. So the relationship was very, was, was gold for me. I learned a lot of stuff uh, from them. No, it's fantastic. Um, now, you obviously spoke about Miyamoto being a part of that process, but your time with him I guess actually began well before I've, I've done a little bit of reading before this and apparently you had a little meeting in Milan back in was it about 2002 or thereabouts there was a little uh, maybe maybe this is not the right word to use like a stakeout you knew he was in town and and follow, uh, tried to find him was that about right yeah it's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a crazy story so basically I was already working for Ubisoft first of all yeah and I knew because there is a Nintendo Italy in Italy that uh, Miyamoto was about to uh, come in, uh, in uh, Milan for, uh, for the presentation of Wind Waker, which was uh, a, yep. new, a new Zelda game for uh, GameCube. 
So, but they, they refused to tell me, to tell me where Miyamoto was uh, staying <laughs> or where he was going. So, but of course I said, okay, he's going to sleep somewhere. And of course it needs to be in a good hotel. It cannot be a crappy hotel. So I started to, oh my God, <laughs> I, I look like, a, I sound like a stalker, but. Uh, We've all done it, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I started to call all the hotel in Milan, the five-star hotel in Milan, pretending to be the official translator of uh, Miyamoto-san, <laughs> who forgot where was the meeting uh, with him. And so, of course, if they were saying, no, no, Miyamoto, we have no Shigeru Miyamoto here, uh, I was like just flagging off the hotel. <laughs> Till I found him. And, uh, but we didn't know his uh, schedule. So basically, I waited outside uh, uh, the hotel de Milan, in Milan for, I don't remember, it's between eight hours and 10 hours. It was raining, like it was heavy rain. I had a fever, like a almost 39 of fever, but I didn't care. I yeah. just waited outside. And uh, along the process of waiting, more friends of mine or colleagues found out that I was waiting for Miyamoto. So <laughs> when Miyamoto arrived, basically we were like uh, 15 of us. Oh, wow. Each one with a <laughs> gift. Uh, we basically, I brought, I brought with me all the games that we did in Ubisoft Milan, plus other kind of uh, gift only for uh, for him. And uh, he was so gentle, basically, to um, accept all the gift, take a photos uh, with us, and then also saying yeah. uh, good night, but in Italian to all of us. Oh, yes, he said buonanotte, which means uh, good night. And uh, it was a, a very, it, it was an incredible um, experience. Uh, and we didn't notice that uh, there was a, a guy a little bit far away from uh, Miyamoto-san, uh, all alone uh, nearby the door of the hotel that nobody was caring about him. And we just realized afterwards that he, he was uh, Onuma-san. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yes. So we felt so bad that the day after we went there with the letters asking for apologies and uh, you, you are great, of course, sorry, sorry, sorry. And uh, he received the mail, so the, the letter, so things are okay now. That's a fantastic story. Um, yeah, I, I, I spotted online and I, I felt I had to ask and learn a little bit more about that. That's great. Um, now, a lot of people might be familiar with you because of and just continuing with Miyamoto and Mario plus Rabbids um, an E3 moment from a few years ago um, where where you got a little bit emotional when Miyamoto was up there presenting the game you um, maybe <laughs> but um, I, ha I have to try and get inside your head a little bit what was what was going through your mind at that moment obviously I presume there'd been maybe a rehearsal of some sort and all those sorts of things beforehand um, but and obviously you'd worked with him for a little bit up to that point, but what was it like when, when someone such as Shigeru Miyamoto standing up there in front of the world, really, and, and presenting a game that you've got an, an enormous amount to do with and he's referencing you and thanking you for your work and, and all, those, all those sort of acknowledgements. What's that like for you in that moment when, when these, all this praise is being heaped on you by a hero in many ways? Uh, it was huge, first of all, because uh, I was there and I was not too supposed to be part of uh, anything. 
Okay. I was not on stage, so there was no rehearsal for me. Uh, the only thing I knew was that Miyamoto uh, was going to be on stage and saying something uh, about the game. Uh, yeah. But uh, we didn't know exactly what, uh, because uh, he didn't provide us any speech. Uh, and of course, it was yes. also in Japanese, so we had to just trust him and let him go. Uh, with the translator that, of course, was translating what he was saying. So I was coming there with uh, tons of uh, anxiety on me because I was uh, representing, in a way, the whole uh, team. Uh, I felt uh, responsible for the idea. I was, sh uh, you know, that we had the leak uh, a couple of months before. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the reaction from the player was incredibly bad so i remember that i went uh, on forums to check out the situation uh, and they were like uh, sending a lot of very bad message towards me or the team uh, saying that uh, okay my god uh, nintendo is going to fail if they really release this uh, uh, game so uh, we went we were working with a lot of love and passion uh, with a lot of uh, positive mood to create a game that uh, uh, players could enjoy and what we received back was a lot of uh, negative emotion so but we had to finish the game we wanted to finish the game yeah. in a proper way so we, when we finally went to Los Angeles to present the game uh, I was sure that uh, I was ready for the worst okay I was sure of the quality of the game so I said okay guys if we are lucky at least one award we will be nominated for one award and uh, maybe after a few weeks they will recognize that the game is not bad so they will maybe change their mind but everything changed in the moment that Miyamoto went on stage and said it's it was like a seal of quality no hey yes yes this is a legit game otherwise I won't be on stage talking to you about it and uh, between that and my, uh, let's say, emotional reaction, human reaction, uh, I do believe that people started to see, okay, maybe we should wait a little bit and see how the game is before judging it. To the point that uh, when I went out of from, uh, the theater, there was a guy from China who said, oh, you are big in China, you are big in China, what do you mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, people, there are like uh, more than two billion views on you what or of me doing what because i was not aware that people were recording me on the theater yes there is you crying oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, it was crazy because after that uh, it was full of people doing cues to play our game sometimes even six hour long and oh. even that even after that they were saying i love the game so it was the most uh, cool stuff for me and we didn't get nominated for one award award but we got nominated for more than 70 and we won more than 51 so it was crazy it was the opposite of what i was forecasting okay for sure it will go bad very bad but maybe and uh, no it went the opposite so after that the the mood and of the team completely changed of course they were proud they were even more eager to create something meaningful for the player. Just after that, uh, 
I went back again to Nintendo to propose them uh, the Donkey Kong uh, expansion. The DLC? Yes, the DLC. And uh, <laughs> uh, it was great. Uh, it, it was uh, it was a really interesting period and this is myself sitting back as a consumer of games at this particular point I did see the leak when it first popped up and uh, my first thought was well look at the end of the day I don't actually know anything about this game I don't understand the moment to moment yet I haven't seen it in action my first thought was well it's it's going to get premiered and shown off properly the way it was intended at some particular point and I'll just reserve my judgment until that particular point and obviously E3 was that stage and I personally sitting back on my couch watching at the time was was really quite blown away and I think I'd like to think that off the back of that scenario that a lot of people learned a lesson about how they judge games at that or anything really at that first impression because you, uh, what you created is a perfect example of not judging a book by its cover, not judging by based on leaked bits and pieces and all those sort of things. It's, I mean, Mario and Rabbids is a fantastic game um, and loved by many, and the awards at E3 support that. The awards you've received since release have supported that. Um, without, um, and we're just slightly going back to some of those ideas initially, um, were there, and I understand you probably can't go into any detail about any of those for a myriad of, diff- of different reasons. Were there any game ideas or concepts you had to cut that were really, really hard to cut? Or was it so obvious the whole way along that what ultimately became Kingdom Battle was the one that you... Did you keep coming back to that idea? Or were there others that really was a, a bit of a battle between a few different ideas there at the end of the day? No, I think uh, we were quite straightforward since the very beginning and we stay true to it. So that's the reason why in the game uh, we have been able to uh, show a lot of attention to details. Like uh, uh, even as a a stupid example, but uh, we have what we call musical props. So there are uh, things in the different worlds that are animated along uh, the, the Grand Kirchhoff music. So mm, there are uh, tours in uh, spooky trays that are playing yep. the string of an harp, uh, and they are really doing it. There was an, an animator that was animating by frame uh, the music of Grand Kirchhoff. There were the sound design team uh, uh, with uh, Romembrio that was uh, uh, <laughs> framing uh, correctly all the, the notes uh, from uh, yep. Grand Kirchhoff. So this kind of stuff it's not really useful uh, for the players to win a battle or to go through the level. But if you notice them, it can tell you a lot about the team and how much the team cares about something and if it's something that they don't want to do or if something that they truly want to do so this kind of honesty honestly between um, the team passion and the player i think it's something that the player can understand because i'm a player myself so if you go on my twitter you see that i'm buying games and speaking about games i'm posting games not just Nintendo games, uh, even games from other indie games that I love uh, yeah. and I'm super passionate about it. So if I notice that they, there is a team behind with something to say, they, they are not doing it for the money, 
they are doing for a greater purpose which is to speak their vision to the rest of the player it's something that uh, we we get to understand we uh, people know if there is this message or not yeah great no it's an awesome way of looking at things now we did have a limited window to be able to work with today so i better look to try and wind this one down um i think i know the answer to this next this next question who inspires you? Like who is, are there people in the industry that, I mean, and again, I think there's a few obvious answers there, but I'll be curious if there's anyone outside of that Nintendo space that you really look up to and you really, uh, maybe even you'd love to work with in some sort of capacity again or for a first time. Is there, are there people out there that really inspire you and your approach to game design? Uh, uh, if you're talking about... Uh, um industry uh, people then I the, the answer is obvious is Miyamoto-san yeah. he has been my f- first reference for everything that is uh, translating in, in, an emotion into a game mechanics uh, if you are if the question is more wide then I would say that uh, there are other kind of uh, people that are uh, uh, influenced me, uh, for example, Gigat, so creators yep. of uh, pen and paper uh, role play games, uh, yep. uh, Tolkien. So, in books or uh, in pen and paper uh, uh, role play games uh, or in video games, of course, I've been inspired by other people. But uh, if I have to tell you that the, the three force of people that uh, inspire <laughs> me the most, uh, it will be those uh, three. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure that someone remember uh, Gigats, but uh, anyway. Have there been any particularly valuable lessons that you've learned along the way? Has there been something that someone said to you that's really resonated with you and helped um, maybe influence your perspective on the process of designing games? Or has it always just kind of been your own way and the lessons you've learned as you've gone? Uh, there is not just one uh, episode. There are tons of... Uh, as I said at the very beginning... Uh, when I started, I was a sponge, and uh, still today, I'm a sponge. Even uh, uh, from colleagues that I have around me, even uh, if they are juniors and they just arrived, uh, it's incredible how, uh, in those days, uh, if you are open enough, uh, you can learn a lot of stuff, even from people that just uh, went on board on the, in the video game industry since a month. Yeah. Uh, if you are not doing that, if you are starting to be close or you are acting like, a, let's say, a sort of a diva, then you are yes. start to lose it. It's where you are, uh, you are about to land and maybe stand uh, in idol uh, forever. No, you have to stay focused and learn for everyone because... Uh, there is no character in the world that knows everything, not even uh, Miyamoto-san. So the same yeah. for him, he's learning from others, he's observing the world, he's, uh, you know, Pikmin started from the, his desire to gardening, and but many other games. So uh, games or uh, things are born from observing the world, uh, observing the others, relationship, uh, storing books, uh, events in the real world uh, uh, and uh, people get influenced by that so yeah is, is there if there is something that is truly 
uh, influencing me today is the uh, warmth, global warmth. How to say yes. It, uh, okay. And uh, it's in a way something that I want to speak of in the future. So we see. Okay, well, I'll be interested to hear more about that then. Um, one last proper question before we get to the real wrap-up sort of stuff. Um, is there one particular highlight or really treasured memory that you have from the entire journey so far? Two. The first one, uh, when uh, Miyamoto-san was able to uh, spot a problem in one of the Rabbit's Mario animation when he was playing the mandolin. He was the only yeah. one noticed that not even the team were able to. Oh. He, we received a feedback from Yamato-san and we went back to check all the animation we did with the Rabbit's Mario playing the mandolin. And yes, after two or three hours, we were able to spot something that he saw in real time. And that's why we gifted him with the mandolin, mandolin at E3. We, we, we ah. basically asked um, uh, a mandolin creator uh, in uh, in uh, Italy to create a mandolin just for uh, Miyamoto-san. Um, and the second one was uh, when I went back from Los Angeles and uh, the team, uh, I found a new team. And uh, that team was completely changed because of the love and energy that we received from the player and they gifted me with a t-shirt where there was me crying but, uh, so, <laughs> but it was not really the t-shirt the, the, the memory that I will always bring with me it was the eyes of the people inside my team were completely different and I will uh, never forget that was like the, the energy and the, the excitement energy and the knowledge the, they knew that something was clicked um, yeah that's fantastic and it just drove the rest of the development um, and so the one uh, one question I've been closing out every episode with uh, if you could be credited for any one game that's ever existed and my gut says maybe it's a Nintendo game but maybe not uh, if there's any one game through the entirety okay, of our gaming time. history is oh, done perfect <laughs> and I completely understand that uh, David it's been fantastic having you on the show um, thank you for sharing your journey so far. It's been a really interesting one, and I'm really interested to see where things continue from there. Um, if the listeners wish to get in touch with you in some way, shape, or form, reach out, keep in touch, find out what's going on, uh, where would they be best to go? Hmm. Is there a Twitter handle or something like that? that I, I will would say, be best? I will say Twitter, yes. Um, and I'll make sure that I'll put that in the show notes, so please just check those out, listeners, uh, and you'll be able to get in touch directly that way. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you very, very much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your journey. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. Thanks a lot. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Davide's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.